And finally, this morning, before we jump into the Word, we want to take a moment and pray uh, for our world. Uh, specifically today, we want to pray for our Muslim neighbors who were the victims of the mosque attacks in Christchurch, New Zealand, over the last few days. Um, people often wonder, does it make sense for Christians to pray for Muslims and for others who don't share our faith when they experience horrible atrocities like this? And my faith teaches me that every single person who's ever walked the face of this earth was made in the image of God. And that any life that is lost grieves God's heart. And so we want to pray with them today um, that in this moment they might in some way see and experience God in a different way this morning. And I also pray for those who perpetuate evil continually around the globe. They are also God's children. As hard as it is to sometimes remember that they're also God's children. And so we pray that God might use this in some way to show them the evil that they're perpetuating in the world. And so we want to pray together today for all of God's children, but particularly for our brothers and sisters who were the victims of this attack. Can you just join me in praying? Lord Jesus, we believe by our faith that you've called all of us, that we are your children, that we were made in your image, and that we bear your likeness. So God, regardless of our faith, in this moment, we pray that you would show yourself, that you would heal what has been broken, that you would help us to see value and dignity in one another. God, we pray against the evil that continues to perpetuate itself in many forms all around the globe. If we sat down and made a list of all the evil in this world, we would be here for a while. But we know that there is one who is at the core of all evil. His name is Satan. We come against him now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we believe that at Calvary you defeated death, hell, and the grave. Satan is already lost. But as we'll talk about today in our message, he's just trying to confuse and distract for the little time he has left. So God, would you protect your children, guard us, teach us, reshape us, transform us, make us into your likeness. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This morning, we want to continue in our observance of the season of Lent. Uh, we're kicking off a new series called Journey to the Cross. We want to thank our brother Jeremy for his wonderful graphics and how he always comes around our messages and helps to visually represent what we're going for. We started our Lenten observance and celebration um, a last Wednesday um, at our Ash Wednesday service. I mean, we want to, if you were a part of that service, it was a special night of worship and reflection. We thank Pastor Mike and Tara and others for making that night a wonderful night. And we want to continue today as we are invited in this season to trace Jesus's footsteps to the cross and ultimately on to Resurrection Sunday. Lent is a journey of repentance, of considering the sufferings of Jesus, of examining our own lives with questions like, what cross must I bear? What things must I let go of? Perhaps for you it's chocolates or social media or some other form of fasting. 
Or maybe you're asking questions like, what things must I grow into? Maybe you want to begin visiting the sick or visiting the imprisoned or, or, or getting back to exercising. Whatever you're adding or taking away from your life over the next few weeks of Lent, in this series, we want to invite you to walk with Jesus as he journeys to the cross. The invitation for all of us together is to say yes to this journey. As individuals, as a church community, and even as a global church, we want to say yes to the journey of walking with Jesus to the cross and on to Resurrection Sunday. I want to take a moment and remind us together, Sanctuary, that even, as, even though we are a unique church in many ways, we are a part of something much bigger than we often realize. And so today and in this season, we join with millions upon millions of fellow believers around the world, around the globe, who are remembering that justice and peace and love and hope and all those things that we we strive for, those things are only ours as we go to the cross. So today, we look together at Luke chapter 4. And we look at this episode in the life of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry where he is tempted by Satan. And so if you will join me in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 13. Luke 4, beginning with verse 1, and continuing through verse 13. Here's what the Word of God says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place. And showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. The devil begins to quote scripture himself. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then verse 13 When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I want to invite you this morning to first see in the tempting of Jesus that even before we make it to the point of temptation, there is a public acknowledgement a public acknowledgement. In order for us to understand Luke chapter 4 and what's happening here, it's important for us to look backwards a bit to Luke chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. 
Here's what Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 says. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here was Jesus at the very start of his ministry. And he goes out to the Jordan River where his relative and his forerunner, John the Baptist, was baptizing people. Jesus got in line himself and was there baptized by John. In Luke's retelling of this moment, we get to see the fullness of the Trinity there on display. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are all there. Jesus is there praying. The, the, the text says that heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice of God comes from heaven saying to Jesus, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Much can be said here about what has occurred, but I want to use this moment to remind us and help us to see that Jesus receives here from God a public acknowledgement. In this moment of his baptism, God says of Jesus, you are mine. I am with you. I love you. I am pleased with you. Jesus has not done one miracle yet. He has not done anything to earn this kind of acknowledgement, but God is saying to Jesus, you are mine. I am with you. I love you. I am pleased with you. Long before he goes to the cross and shouts out, it is finished, Jesus is marked in public with God's approval. That's what baptism means for us. Baptism is a gift. It represents our cleansing from sin. It signals our welcoming into the body of Christ. And it is a public acknowledgement of our union with Christ. In baptism, we identify with the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we, when we celebrate our baptisms as a community, we take up a banner. We put on a jersey with God's name on the front. We celebrate the fact that we are marked by God. When we are baptized, God says of us, I am with you. You are mine. I love you, and I am pleased with you, and we have not done anything to earn it. Just like Jesus, as he began his ministry, when we are baptized, we receive a public acknowledgement and we are sent out into the world to live and represent Jesus. In a few weeks, we as a church community will again celebrate baptism. And I want to take a moment this morning and invite you, if you have never been baptized, to consider being baptized in, in the next few weeks. Here, here's why this matters. Perhaps you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, but simply were never baptized. This, this baptism for us is a special moment because it is a public acknowledgement. It is you saying to the world, I have died with Christ, and so I will live again with Christ. Perhaps you've never never taken that step of establishing a relationship with God, I would encourage you to be praying in this season, does God want this relationship with me? Is now the time for me to say yes to God? And if so, we would love to celebrate your baptism.
You can never be too old to get baptized. And so if you've wondered, hey, I've missed my window. I'm not small and cute. Your public acknowledgement is never too late. And so as we prepare over the next few weeks and you'll hear announcements again and again about baptism, we would invite you, take part in this public acknowledgement, following the steps of Jesus so that God can speak these words over you. And God is even already speaking these words over you. I love you. You are mine. I am with you and I am pleased with you. That's what Jesus receives in this moment, this moment of public acknowledgement before he does anything to even earn it. Luke helps us to see Jesus receive this public acknowledgement, but he also helps us to see that Jesus encounters a purposeful antagonism. A purposeful antagonism. I felt like some acronyms today. Purposeful antagonism. That's our second point of this message. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verses 1 and 2, here's what it says about Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Jesus encounters purposeful antagonism. Sanctuary, can I be real with you this morning? We are in a fight. I don't know if you you knew that or not. We are in a fight. When, when, I, when I've often thought about and heard about the temptation of Jesus, I often thought that him going to the wilderness was preparation for the fight. When, when I heard about the, the, the temptation, when it was taught to me even as a child, I, I thought about Jesus' temptation sort of in the same way that I think about the scenes in Rocky Four when Rocky goes to Russia to prepare to fight Ivan. You remember Apollo Creed, Rocky's good friend, fought Ivan in what was supposed to be an exhibition, and Ivan took it way too serious. And at the end of the match, Apollo Creed was lying in the ring dead. So Rocky says, I need to avenge my friend. Even though I'm ready to retire as a fighter, I'm going to go to Russia and train for this fight. And if my training doesn't go well, I might lose my life as well. And so Rocky trains in a way that he's never trained before. He's chopping down trees. He's lifting up and throwing heavy logs. He's pulling an oversized snow sleigh in the the snow with his team loaded on it. He's jogging through heavy snow and ice, much like we were just a few weeks ago trying to get to church. He climbs because he's rocky. He has to climb stuff, and he climbs a large icy mountain so that he may do his pose at the top. And when I would read about the temptation of Jesus, I thought about it in the same way. I thought Jesus went away to the wilderness to prepare so that he might be ready for the fight. But upon closer inspection, I want to suggest to us today that the wilderness was not preparation for the fight. The fight began in the wilderness. He was not preparing for the moment in the future when the enemy would show up. Jesus goes to the wilderness, sent there by the Holy Spirit, and the enemy was there waiting for him. 
I want to suggest to us and remind us today, even if it makes you uncomfortable, I want to let you know that you are already in a fight. You are already being tempted. You are already being tried. You may have thought you were just having a few bad days, but I want to suggest to you, my brother and my sister, that you are involved in a spiritual fight. And because we are already in a spiritual fight, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you today to change your spiritual posture. Your posture is different in preparation than it is in the fight. And if you are identified with Christ, you are no longer in training. You are in a fight. Perhaps you're here today and you have been seeing yourself as a spectator. You've been seeing yourself as a note taker. You've been giving about 60 to 65 percent because you thought the fight was on the way in the next season. You thought that you had all sorts of time to gradually level up your faith because the fight was not going on already. But brother and sister, the bell has actually already rung. The enemy is already in attack mode. And I'm here to help us win the fight. No more waiting on the fight. No more running from the fight. Now is the time for you and I to overcome the enemy of our souls. Now is the time for you and I, brother and sister, to learn how to fight. Luke tells us that Satan appears to Jesus and he tempts him in the wilderness for 40 days. Notice that the scripture doesn't tell us how Satan appears to Jesus. Did he come in the form of a serpent like he did when he appeared to Adam and Eve in Genesis? Did he come as a glorious angel of the light as Paul describes him in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Did Satan come in the form of a dragon as we see him in Revelation 12? Or did he come in the form of that goat looking horn figure that we often see in the artwork. The scripture doesn't tell us how Satan comes to Jesus in Luke 4, but what the scriptures do tell us is that immediately after a public acknowledgement by God, Jesus went out into the wilderness and Satan met him there. Why? Did Satan go out to the wilderness to keep Jesus company? To make sure he didn't make a wrong turn one way or the other? Satan came to the wilderness to antagonize Jesus, and he does so by offering up three specific temptations. The first temptation is the temptation of provision. Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He's asking Jesus, is God good enough to provide and care for you? Satan tempts a hungry Jesus with bread, and Jesus says to him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Satan is tempting Jesus because he's hungry, but more importantly, he's trying to get Jesus to question if God would meet his most basic needs. Satan tempts us in the very same way, causes us to ask, is God good enough to really care about my needs? Satan tempts Jesus with provision. 
but he also tempts Jesus with power. Satan leads Jesus up to a high place and gives him a view of all the kingdoms of the world. He says to Jesus, authority and splendor and all the things of these kingdom have been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. Satan tempts Jesus, offering him great power and authority in exchange for his worship. The temptation here is not just to acquire power, but to run ahead of God's will and to do it your own way. Satan tempts Jesus and says to him, I can get you power with no waiting. I can get you power with no suffering. I can get you power with no death. And that is the temptation that Satan still gives to all of us. When we talk about temptation, most people hear sex. Especially in the church. We are somehow obsessed with sex in the church. It's like the only wrong that we actually think about. But temptation is so much broader than just sex. The great prophet Little Kim in the locks told us that money, power, and respect, those are the keys to life. That's what most of our temptations are. Our hunt for money, for power, and respect. Google it if you don't know Little Kim in the locks. But don't miss what I'm saying. Sex is not the only thing that the enemy is using to tempt us. Our lust for power and position and even protection and safety, that's how the enemy trips so many of us up. Jesus knew perfectly that the enemy had no real power and authority over this world. And Jesus knew that in time, God would actually put all these things under his feet in a certain manner and at a certain time. Brothers and sisters, my reminder for you today is that there will never be a cross, there will never be a crown if you are not willing to wear a cross. There will never be life, eternal life, if you run around running away from death. You can't get to Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. And so when Satan tempts us with the easy way out, with the way of convenience, with the way of no suffering, hear the words of Jesus as he rebukes Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan tempts Jesus with provision and power, and finally he tempts him with protection. He leads him up to the highest point of the temple, and he says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, because the word says, Satan says, Satan begins to quote the Bible himself. He says, the word says, Jesus, that he will commend the angels concerning you to guard you, that if you toss yourself off this building, doesn't God love you enough to protect you? This doesn't do it for Jesus. Jesus knows this is a trap. He knows that he does not have to prove anything to Satan. And so he says to him very clearly, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan tempts Jesus by telling him to do something stupid and asking God to come clean it up. And that's a temptation we all face, that we understand God's grace so much that I'm just going to do anything I want in my life, and then I'm going to put God's grace to the test. That if God really loves me, he will get me out this mess. 
God does love us, and he does get us out of a lot of mess, but often we won't get out of that mess until we have borne the consequences of the thing we did in the first place. Luke allows us to see as Satan purposely antagonizes Jesus, tempting him in three ways, and Jesus overcomes every temptation. And we see it in verse 13 of Luke chapter 4, that after he has overcome these temptations, one more thing takes place. Luke chapter 4, verse 13, says this. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until inopportune time. He left him until an opportune time. What enters your mind when you hear that? Here it is, Jesus, the Son of God, has defeated Satan, and the text could have said, and Satan ran away, defeated, and never messed with Jesus again. It could have said Satan was defeated, and because Satan was defeated, we don't have anything to worry about. But instead, Luke says to us, the scriptures teach us, that when Satan had been defeated in the wilderness, he left until an opportune time. He attempted Jesus with provision and power and protection, and he lost, and he went away until an opportune time. My third point this morning, before I go to my seat, is that we are called to persistent awareness. Persistent awareness. Jesus had already defeated Satan there in the wilderness. The text could have said he would never come back again, but that's not what it says. It says he left until an opportune time. Satan had been defeated, but he was not done trying. Jesus knew that, and it's important for us to remember that the devil's only focus in his short time left is to slow down the mission of God. Satan can't defeat the mission of God. He he can't stop the mission of God. And so his only weapon is to try and slow it down. Scriptures describe Satan as the tempter, the accuser of the saints, not just as a liar, but as the father of all lies. And just like he tempted Jesus, this same liar will seek to attempt to tempt us day in and day out. At every turn of our lives, his singular focus is to tempt us and to cause us to doubt God, to doubt the work of God, and to doubt our identity in Christ. If the enemy can cause us to wonder, I wonder if any of that stuff they sing about or talk about or read about in church is even real, he's doing his job. If he can cause us to say, I'm, I'm sort of a naturally skeptical person, so I'm just going to sit on the outside of community. I'll be around, but I'm not really going to get in community. He's doing his job. Don't think that you're the only person who's ever been smart enough to question the faith. The enemy will allow you to use your intellect to keep yourself out of God's will. Don't be tricked. Don't be surprised that the enemy is on the prowl. Regardless of how Satan shows up in your life, and regardless of what you face in terms of temptation, brothers and sisters, I would not be doing you a favor today if I did not encourage you to be perpetually aware. Jesus knew temptation was coming. 
Jesus defeated Satan because he was aware. And you and I can defeat Satan in the same way that Jesus does. How does he do it? He does it by first being perpetually aware. Don't wonder, will I ever be tempted by Satan? Do yourself a favor and examine your life and ask the question, where is the enemy already looking to gain traction in my life? And this is not just an individual exercise. Church is not just about each of us living our best lives. The life of faith we're called to is a communal examination, and we need each other to watch for the work of Satan in our lives. And so a question I ask you regularly, who is it that you have given permission to watch your life with you? Who guards your blind spots? Who have you given authority to speak into your life? And if you can't think of anybody, my brother, my sister, I'm concerned that the enemy is creeping in on you. And so I want us to be perpetually aware in our lives and in the lives of others. The second thing that you can do to reflect what Jesus did in defeating Satan is to be armed with the word of God. Jesus did not defeat Satan with intellect and logic. He he didn't rationalize his way out of temptation. He didn't give Satan the old two-step and get away from him. Jesus defeated Satan with the word of God. So the question today is, how are you engaging the word of God? How are you studying God's word? How are you eating the book as the prophet reminds us? How are you getting into God's word so that you might know the enemy's tricks and when the enemy comes, you might rebuke him with the word of God? Your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Brothers and sisters, as we feast on God's word, we find truth and light to become and overcome the word of the work of the enemy. Finally, if we are to defeat the enemy, we've got to learn to trust the power of the Holy Spirit. That when we come to accept Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are given the Spirit of God in the same Spirit that allowed Jesus to overcome Satan is in us as well. That we are empowered by the Spirit and we are not walking alone in temptation. You and I can resist the devil with the same sort of authority. We can push back against Satan with the same sort of confidence, knowing that we are not powerless. We are powered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in us and with us, and we are overcomers because of it. And so, my brothers and sisters, what will you do with your temptations and the tests that come in your life? Will you be surprised and caught off guard? Will you equip yourself now, or will you wait until it comes and search for scriptures that speak to your situation? Will you look to be guided by the Holy Spirit, or will you try to use that freshman year logic that you learned to get yourself out of a situation? My prayer today is that we would take seriously the enemy's tricks, and that we would learn from the example of Jesus of how we might overcome temptation. Let's pray.
Father, we know in the season of Lent, the season of reflection and repentance, of picking up things that we need and taking off things that we don't need, that you have called us to grow as your people. And Lord, we remember today the example of you as you were tempted in the wilderness, 40 days without food, and the way in which the enemy came to you there and tried to distract you from God's will. Lord, we want to learn from your example. More than just learn, we want to reflect your example. So God, I pray that every brother and sister under the sound of my voice today would know that they are in a fight, and that they would do the work of becoming empowered by the Spirit, of digging into your word, not being caught off guard, finding real community so that they might overcome the tricks of the devil. God, I pray that we would, as a church, become a place where we might come to each other with our temptations to speak without judgment and say, I am being tempted in these ways. And that together we might pursue wholeness and health and godliness. God, forgive us of the times where we've fallen short in this area. Help us to live towards the, the goal that you've set for us. You've called us to holiness. You've called us to godliness. And you've not left us alone in that work. You've already given us everything that we need. So may we embrace that today. And may we live into that new life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.